Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey guys, I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast with Andrew Hines. Please take care of your families, take care of yourself, take care of your mental health. Have a glass of wine. Cheers. And, uh, you know, this will pass. If you are interested in the tenant screening processes and enhanced measures, I have that on my website and it is $197. I hope that it will help you. It's all of the forms that I use, all the processes that I use to make sure that I have the very best tenants in my units and I can as much as possible eliminate the professional quote unquote tenants. So if you guys are interested on that, it is some video modules and we are doing a live call as well, where I'm going to share some of the enhanced processes and procedures now with COVID, but also moving forward, that it's going to be important for us to have as landlords, investors, and, uh, and we need to be doing this to protect our business because tenants and tenant screening is our control. That's in our control. Afterwards, if you unfortunately let a bad one slip, it may cost you a lot of money in the long run. So again, it's not a foolproof. There's always something that can happen, but I will say it is better to be diligent and try to maximize the opportunity to have some great tenants in your rentals so that you can go through this month in and month out. And, you know, guys, stay safe out there. If I can help you, please send me an email, reach out to me. You can actually also reach out to me on Instagram at investor Sarah Larby. And just let me know if there's anything that you need any help with that I can, uh, I can help assist. So guys, hopefully uh, everyone is safe and healthy and uh, thank you for tuning in. Welcome back listeners. And today's show is going to be another special episode uncensored with Andrew Hines sharing our opinions. So again, please take what we say as just opinions, do your own research and due diligence. Don't take any action on any of these opinions. These are just uh, what we think is happening in the current state of uh, how things are going. So welcome to the show, Andrew. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. How are you? Good, good. 30,000 foot view of who you are as an investor and what you do. Uh, so I started uh, real estate investing around 2011. Student rentals are the main thing I am in. And I am uh, also, I also own a construction company. So I'm still in the construction business. We're still rolling along, although we're watching things slow down a little bit. And, and of course, that's, uh, that's obviously a concern, which we'll talk about today. Absolutely. Awesome. And I will say when I think student rentals, I think I probably referred a lot of people to you and your podcast because you you take some amazing, you know, properties, turn them into, I think you burr, you're like probably the, the top person I can think of for burring students rentals and doing it well. And, uh, and really in that, that higher end market. So, Oh, thank you. Super awesome. So what's your take? I mean, we don't have wine right now. I mean, maybe you do, but I'm just drinking like lemon water. Sometimes a we beer do would be great. Wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do these podcasts over wine and then we just kind of yeah. talk and, and share some, some insights, but what, in your perspective is happening right now and what should we be aware of as investors? Well, and I try and be as delicate as I can with all this because I've been saying it from the, the beginning. The biggest concern that we have in all of this is uh, is really the, the steady and progressive removal of our civil liberties, our rights. And uh, we've already seen that happening. You know, stay at home. You can no longer run your business. And, and the thing that, that I think a lot of people would never have thought 
when all this would have happened or I would never give up my rights. And they wouldn't have thought that if a circumstance had been created that were the right sequence of events, that they would actually celebrate giving up their rights. And that scares the heck out of me. I'll try not to swear. Uh, that scares me a lot because that is always the way it will be. No one ever says, oh, just take my rights. I don't want them anyway. Uh, any right that was ever taken away from anyone was probably almost always done out of fear. Fear is dangerous. So, so that's uh, one of the main concerns that I have seeing everything going on right now. If you want to know what I see in the real estate market specifically, obviously we've seen things slow down. What I've seen in the market in general, and my concern is, is that we deal in a fiat currency, which means our currency is not backed by anything. The only reason our currency has value to absolutely anybody is because we're told to value it. We're told that this is the dollar you pay your taxes in. This is the dollar that the stores will accept. And because they do, we all continue under that illusion. However, what happens in money creation, and we won't go too, too deep into that with uh, you know, confusing the subject, is that right now we're paying people to stay at home and do nothing. They're not adding value. And, and really, GDP in a country can only really be created when there's value created, but no value is being created. Money is just being given to people. It's being printed, sent out. It's destroying our currency. And it's scary because this has a lot of implications, yeah. but you're going to say something. So go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, I mean, look at all the quantitative easing. They mm. started printing money and printing money. It, and then this is going to lead to inflation like you wouldn't believe crazy inflation and that's and people might say oh why is that a, that a problem like you know that's that's not going to be bad for us we're we're investors in fact your house might go up in value but that happened more in 2008 because they did major quantitative easing in the states and and don't kid yourself everything they do affects us very directly because we buy from them we're, we're heavily connected to them and we did our own too in the States, basically, the, the Fed basically printed money. They print it, really. They get a call. They print the money. They go out and they were buying asset-backed securities. They were basically buying stuff from hedge funds. They were just throwing the market money at the market. But most of it was ending up in big corporations through bailouts and all that different stuff. That money ended up making its way back into the equities market. So if you look between then and now, we've never seen the Dow Jones do better. It was the longest, quote-unquote, bull market that we've seen. But I actually question whether it was a true bull market because when you adjust for inflation, the growth isn't as good as it seems. Uh, the U.S. has over doubled their currency and supply uh, since then. And now they're just throwing trillions and trillions of dollars at this. And we're doing something similar here in Canada. And when you increase the currency supply, every dollar is now worth less. So if you think basic supply and demand, we've got a supply of goods. So right now we're looking at our situation. All of our supply chains are compromised. We're not producing as much goods. They're not getting to us. We're seeing lineups at grocery stores already. Amazon's sold out because everything's compromised. Everyone is working at reduced capacity. People are sitting at home. They're still eating. They're still doing all that stuff. So we're already seeing this. What happens when we get back to work and we have all these extra dollars in circulation, but all of our supply is compromised. So we're going to have way more dollars of demand than we have units of supply. That is going to drive our price way up. And my concern is we go into that territory, you know, 10% plus where we're going to start getting into, you know, severe inflation to hyperinflation like they saw in Germany post-World War One, where no one has any faith in anything. You're going to the grocery store with a wheelbarrow full of, of cash back then. Of course, we'd still have our credit card, but your ability to buy diminishes. So then you have absolute chaos. People can't save because their money has no, no value. They're trying to buy everything out of the store. So people are hoarding goods. 
can't save anything. And then all of a sudden you're in a situation where people are getting violent. People will actually get violent in a scenario like that. And I'm not trying to paint doomsday guys. Like that's not at all what I'm trying to do here, but I'm trying to wake us up to the fact that the path we're on is extremely dangerous and we need to speak up about it. Like everybody acts like, oh, we have to save as many pe people as possible with COVID. And I agree. We need to save as many people as reasonably possible without sacrificing our sovereignty. Remember, in World War II, we sacrificed 45,000 Canadians. They died in that war to protect our freedom, to protect our planet. We're watching a war happen right now. And all we're thinking about is how we save people when literally we sent 45,000 people off to die. So we have to put this into perspective. We can't sacrifice everything to save lives right now. We have to put a balanced approach in place. And I totally, totally get it. Like this is sensitive. And I, you know, I can't see my mom. Like literally we can't see each other because of the risk that that I might infect her with something. It's tragic. This sucks. Like she's, she's, uh, I don't have any of my grandparents anymore. My, my, my father's already passed away. She's, she's my last parent alive. And you know, this, this affects me too. So I don't say this lightly. Right. No, absolutely. But I, I do tend to agree with you and I'm not to take away from the severity of it. Like I had some friends that, that got it and their mom got it too. And she was on the ventilator and it was hour by, by hour at some point. So like it is bad, but then you also look at like the heart attacks the domestic violence, the, you know, all of the other things. And so I, I think the more that this goes on, the harder it's going to be. A, people are expecting the payments. And, and the crazy thing is some people that are getting this $2,000, they weren't even making that in the past. So now it's like a pay raise. And actually what scares me the most is all of these talks about how universal income might be the way to go. Um, yeah. And we live in Canada and, and so, and we voted in Ontario for a conservative and, you know, for the ability to say, if you want to get off your, your ass, I'm not saying this for everybody, everyone's got different situations, mm -hmm. but in general, we reward people that do more and that take action and, and move forward and try to bring their lives forward, create different streams of income, et cetera. But all of a sudden this universal income is like, why bother? Right? Like, why would you yeah. bother working if you're going to be, tax more to give the universal income to a lot of people that are unfortunately milking the system. Not everybody, but there's a lot of people out there that are like, sweet, you know what, if the government, they owe me, I'm going to take what I can. And I hope they have an exit plan. I hope they have a plan at the end of this because it is going to be, I think it's going to be a mess and it's not going to be right now, but I think what's yeah. going to happen when, when serve is done, when mortgages that people deferred are back and yeah. do, and there's still a lot of jobs that are lost because we've, we've lost a lot of jobs, in my opinion, for good. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the other thing. Like, do we care about our culture? It's so much more, right? Like you were talking about, like, like what about the people who lose everything? And, and then we have suicides that follow that because that's what happens. Like, you know, when business owners lose everything, when pension, when pension holders lose everything and, and like they thought they had $100,000 in Canada savings bond and, and that that would buy them three or four more years. And then after inflation comes that won't buy them a half a year. Uh, you know, we have to consider all those things they have. There's a, there's a well-rounded effect that, that will, will come out of all of this. But as far as business owners go, I've heard people speculate that, that maybe only one in 10 will survive this. And think about that. So that means all their employees now are laid off. Uh, and here's where the deleveraging deflationary period happens. So I know we're talking about inflation, but generally you'll see deflation first because all this money people are going to get, they're going to hoard it. 
they're going to put it under their mattress, you know, not literally, but uh, they're not going to spend it. So it's not going to have that immediate inflationary effect necessarily, because a lot of these baby boomers, this was the last straw. They don't have any money left to lose. So now every, everything they get, they're going to keep it. Uh, so, so that might happen in the short term. But what happens is one person's savings is another person's income. So now if everybody's saving because they just got burned the worst they've ever been burned and lost everything, that, that, then that on top of all the businesses that lost employees and now they've laid them off so that you've got un unemployment through the roof, people are conserving spending. We're going to see our GDP fall like a rock. And when it falls like a rock, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And that's where the money comes in. They start raining money down in, in quantities you've never imagined until people will finally be willing to spend again. And that's when the hyperinflation happens. It hits that point because a free market can manage itself. It has equilibrium. You find where supply and demand meet and you find where that market is. And, and, and our problem in both Canada and the US is that we don't allow our free market to function. We're constantly interfering. They interfere with bailouts. They don't let Air Canada go bankrupt when it wants to go bankrupt. The five, four or five times it's happened, they keep bailing it out. When in reality, if, you know, going back to 2008, they let that, that stuff happen, we wouldn't be in position to fall so hard right now because our, our equities markets have been propped way up by all the bailouts that happened back in 2008. There's way more currency in, in circulation. So we really do have to consider there's so many factors here. And to just think about COVID to me just seems a little crazy. And I don't know if, if you agree with that, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, you've explained it in a really easy to understand way. I mean, like you have an economics background or... <laughs> Well, I, I did minor in economics prior to going to Ivy. I didn't end up getting that on my degree because they don't do that or they didn't do it at the time. But I also just take an interest in, in what I would highly recommend is uh, for anyone listening to this, don't take my word for it. Go do your own research. Go on YouTube and look up Ray Dalio's, the, uh, what is it? I think it's the, the debt cycle. He basically explains how markets work. It's a 31 minute video. You'll know you got it if it's 31 minutes exactly. And he, he explains it really well too. And then you could do your own digging too. Uh, you know, in the last two weeks, I've been on the Government of Canada website looking up our national debt. Currently, we're at a trillion dollars for the record. Uh, that's $20 billion a year in debt service, spread that across 38 million taxpayers. And it's a pretty hefty number. So um, our, our, there is a cost to what we're doing as well. But, you know, go on, go on the Fed's website, go on the, the Government of the U.S. Uh, website, and you can look up all their financial statements and you can see what's really happening here. And this model is not sustainable. We're, we're continually running deficit governments every single year. How long do you think that can go on before this apathy? You pointed out apathy from basic income. We have apathy already because people can get EI for 48 weeks. People are apathetic. Like I'm in the construction business trying to get general labor. They keep raising minimum wage. Like no one even wants to work for minimum wage. It, and it's like, what, $14 now when I was working, it was like six, you know, when I got my first jobs. And, uh, you know, I just see a steady trend of apathy. And then there will come a point where no one wants to work because everything's being handed to them. And I think we have enough references to know that, that that's, that's really sliding towards communism and it's never really worked out. No, I tend to agree. I mean, at the end of the day, like I know these are opinions and stuff, but Sometimes I look at Sweden and I, and I look at what they're doing and how they didn't shut the whole economy down. Are they going to be better off? And, well, economically, no question. No right. question. So then what's worse? Like how many more debts do we prevent if every week that we're closed or every week that we have the shutdown? So I'm, I'm hoping that this doesn't last much longer. The longer it, it goes, the worse it's going to be. But I don't think it's going to be right now. Like I think we're going to see it. It's going to take four to six months or more for us to feel the, the aftermath effects 
or something like this. I think we're seeing supply chain effect now and I don't want to scare everybody and please don't go run out and buy everything right now because I still want to eat too. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but growing your own vegetables would be a very good idea this summer. Just saying, you know, get your seeds, plant your gardens, grow some of your own food too. hedge yourself. It's like kind of spreading your investments around. Yeah, I think I, I think that uh, Sweden has taken a more balanced approach. Maybe they weighed. I don't know because our media, which is the thing we we're going to talk about, will not talk about the validity of their plan. We'll only criticize. Oh, is is it doomsday for for Sweden? They probably looked at it and said, well, if we let our economy crash, we're all doomed. You know, do you want chaos, civil war? Do you want you know people fighting and punching each other over the last can of beans in the grocery store? I mean, do we really want to go down that road? Uh, I think that there is a nice there's a nice middle ground, right? It's not black and white. We don't need to say like Trudeau's talking uh, forced vaccination. Uh, he's starting to, to drop that. I mean, that's a civil violation of my rights uh, mm -hmm. to force me uh, to have a vaccination. I've done my research on vaccinations and I'm, I will happily provide uh, source data to anybody who'd like to, to reach out to me. That there, so there's never been a coronavirus vaccine that's actually worked. So coronavirus is just a category of viruses, right? They have the round, the, the crown look. So the last one was SARS back in 2002, 2003, right? The ones that they came up with back then, they they initially vaccinated people, but then when they they gave them the actual infection, when they exposed them to the actual infection, they overreacted to it and got sicker and they were affected worse than people who had never had the vaccine at all. Uh, there's all kinds of data out there to suggest that vaccines are actually quite dangerous. People who have had the flu shot, there are actually scientific peer-reviewed studies that show people who have had the flu shot are worse affected uh, by coronavirus. So if you, if you put that into consideration, there are tons of questions around these, virus, uh, these vaccines. To say that you have to take it is, to me, tyranny. Like, that's absolute tyranny. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's going to be a lot of upset people. But, you know, the other, my other concern, and I want to go back to something mm -hmm. here, is the media and what the media is portraying and what the media is showcasing. And I feel that there's a little bit of lack of control for us because everything we're seeing just seems very one-sided in my oh, Totally. What happened to the day's journalism was to review what the government said was the official story and the official narrative and then say, well, the government's saying this, but we've done this research too. And we see that there are, you know, these conflicting, th you know, thoughts and, and that, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, we could sit in lockdown for a year, but wait a minute. That's got economic consequences. Uh, it's clear that Justin Trudeau isn't thinking about this, uh, you know, and then you have the open commentary section and, and people can say whatever they want. Uh, what I've seen is that uh, that dissent or or free thought is and I posted a, a meme on it yesterday is the new counterculture. If you're questioning the official narrative, if you're if you're not you know just going along with what everyone said, you're kind of looked at as the extremist, which I find absolutely insane. And you're absolutely right. They, they seem to be trying to paint this as a one-sided crisis that you know is going clearly in one direction, and I just don't get that. Like. Since when do we need censorship on Google and YouTube? So now Google and YouTube are taking videos and content down. Anything that questions, right now it's 5G. I'm sure it's going to go to vaccination as well. And basically, they'll, they'll put this little white block over a video and say, uh, inaccurate information or misleading information. And here's why. And you see why. And it says, well, because the government says this. So this is inaccurate information because the government's official narrative is this. Like, where are we? Is this 1984? Like, the truth has nothing to hide. If the truth has nothing to hide, let me investigate things from all perspectives and make up my own mind. And if the truth is the truth, then I will believe the truth. But I think, I think the problem is, is this censorship now teaches everybody that, that you're supposed to conform with the party line. You're not supposed to dissent. And 
I went to business school every single day you're talking about, hey, what did Pfizer do? And, and what did General Electric do? You know, do you think that manager made a good decision or a bad decision? What was good? What was bad? Since when are we not allowed to question this about our prime minister to act like he knows everything and he's perfectly right? 100%. But like, why do you think because because this is why I wanted you to come on my podcast, because you put some great posts on Instagram. And you are questioning what's happening. And you are raising questions. But why do you think that is not really happening. Like, why are we not allowed to question? Why are we, why are we not questioning more? Why are we not seeing more of both sides mm -hmm. of, you know, the pros and cons of doing this? Is it really worth what we're doing right now? Is it really worth all of the money that the government is, is throwing in? Is it, I mean, I, I don't know. Is it worth to shut everything down? Is it, and is it worth to really focus on social isolation? And if we question all of that, then we basically get our yeah. hands slapped. I don't know. I, I, you know, we can only speculate as to the exact reason. I mean, I can give some, some examples of, of why people should question, but, you know, clearly there's an agenda that, you know, a foregone conclusion as to how this is going to play out. Um, if you dig into Bill Gates, which I would highly suggest anyone listening to this, go dig into Bill Gates, his history. He's got an agenda. He reaches deep into a lot of people's pockets. He's in the World Health Organization's pocket. So any information coming from WHO, which all of our countries rely on, is some way affected by Bill Gates' agenda. And for those of you who aren't familiar, he is like the leading world spokesperson on vaccination. He's got uh, uh, investments with pretty well all big pharma. And uh, he's done some pretty sick things. And uh, if you actually want to see specific examples of that with, uh, with the backing to prove it, uh, I would recommend people just check out Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s uh, Instagram page. He posts on it pretty regularly. And I'm a huge fan of the Kennedy family. They were the good guys, uh, you know, the ones always standing up for what's right. And, and uh, I'd highly recommend. So why, why do we see this agenda happening? There's one speculation. Who knows exactly, right? This is, you know, again, this is a, you know, opinion, I, I think something mm -hmm. worth looking into, worth investigating. But I would say, if you notice things being taken down, or if someone is saying that, that YouTube's censoring this or Facebook's censoring that, that to me is an indication I need to look into it. So I heard they were doing that with 5G and I had nothing, no problem with 5G whatsoever. Didn't even know about it. And I hear people talking about it and hear that, that they're censoring it now. So I go dig into it. Sure enough, there was never a study done to prove that 5G microwave radiation is safe for humans. No study. If you think about a real estate developer, if I want to develop a building, I have to do a traffic study. I have to do noise studies. So how does the noise from the road affect the tenants? I would probably have to spend, if I wanted to build a 20 story building, I might spend 200,000 to $2 million in soft costs doing engineer and expert studies to prove that what I was going to do was safe for all those around, how it was going to affect the community, how the look would fit in with the neighborhood. Yet technology providers are allowed to come in to a country with absolutely no study and, and do whatever they want. So why is it not okay that I question that? Why does YouTube and Google need to censor that so that I can't question that? To me, Something seems off there. And again, I'm just saying these are the things that don't add up to me. I don't know exactly why, but I've seen a lot of things that don't add up. And then I see a lot of people going along with, with the current narrative and it's concerning to me for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't fully know what's going on either, but I do know that there's some stuff that we don't even know. Like, here's an example. Recently, they said no more short-term Airbnb rentals. Except yep. for, I think, except for if you're trying to provide it to like a um, first responder and you're fined $100,000 or if as an individual, 
putting it on Airbnb for short term or just short term in general, or 10 million for a company. And it really makes me wonder why A, is it so hefty? But B, like, I mean, maybe put some regulations around it. Like the house has to sit empty X amount of days in between, or it just seems like there's something else behind the scenes. And to have such a hefty bill or fine, if you break it also seems like they're trying, I don't know, this is like, there's a bunch of things in my mind. I'm like, okay, is this from the hotel industry that's really trying to push this stuff so that there's no more Airbnb after? Is this just temporary to, hopefully it's just temporary to just say maybe some Airbnb hosts are not going to clean it the same as hotels. Fine. Okay. Or is it a way to say, well, we have a housing issue and we need more long-term housing. The board, the landlord tenant board is closed. A lot of investors may not want to take a risk. So they might do short term. Shall we ban it now? Blame COVID potentially create more investors, however, having their arm, arm twisted to, to put these rentals that are short-term now on long-term rentals to create more supply. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's definitely possible. That's, that's definitely, I mean, I, I've speculated on stuff too. You know, why is this happening? You know, our, it seems very evident that our government is doing nothing for small business owners. And I apologize if you can hear the dog in the background there. It seems and, evident. And it's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's just upstairs, but he's making some noise. But it seems evident that, that our, uh, our leaders are not doing anything for small business owners. If the, if the initiative here was to, to lead and, and help our small business owners, they would be giving them money. Right now, they've opened up a $40,000 line of credit through a bank that they're backing at the government level, but you do have to pay it back. Now, we have like beauty salons nail salons, uh, food places, like the first off the nail salons and hair places and whatever, they're shut down. So if they got like $4,000, $5,000 a month in rent, it's just accruing and accruing and accruing. And when they come out of this, they're going to have to dig their way out of a hole. Well, what if they were a break even business that, you know, maybe they made just enough money to live on. Now they're, they're racking up, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 in debt for carrying their business through. They're going, they're just going to go under. Like if our government really wanted to protect them, they wouldn't have shut up, taken away their right to run their business and then basically not provided them with the money to keep it alive. It seems to me that there is some sort of an agenda here that doesn't care about small business for whatever reason that that is. Otherwise, the policy would be much better to protect them. So I think if there, if there was, let's just hypothesize, if there was an agenda to create a, more of a state dependence with a universal ba- basic income and to push that bill through, uh, this would be the type of crisis and you can see them doing it to do that. And if this, if there was an agenda to take away our human rights and take away our rights, and this crisis just happened to come along and was the perfect launch board for that, they would exploit it exactly the way that we're seeing this go down. So just question that, right? What might the ulterior motives uh, be? I realize that for a lot of people, there's cognitive dissonance, meaning that they, they do not want to accept that there might be a hidden agenda behind things and that things aren't cheery and peachy as, as we believe them to be. Uh, but do you really believe if, if we lived in a true democracy and there wasn't all kinds of corruption we didn't know about, do you really believe that we would have only had the three political options we had at the last election? Do you really believe that there would only be a Republican and Democrat ever in the U.S.? You know, there is just so much going on behind the scenes. I'm quite convinced of that. And I'm just constantly questioning. And my main message to anyone who follows me, and I know I'm polarizing some people, but I just want you to think, I don't know the exact answer. I do have theories about how we could solve this problem right now and, and get back to work and save lives and save our culture and our economy and our small business owners. Because I don't know about you, but 
I don't want to go downtown Burlington and see no small business, not be able to go to the restaurants I used to like, not be able to, to support those small businesses. Those are a big part of our culture. They're a big part of, of what makes Canada, Canada and what makes it great. They're why immigrants want to come here. You think immigrants are going to want to come here once we've taken away all of our rights and killed all our businesses? Like this will change the face of Canada forever. Yeah. And I, I think what, I would just say in all of this is just it's just important to question it, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't think you have to be all, you know, one direction or another, or like there can't be, you know, any other reasons or there has to be other reasons, but mm -hmm. but look at both sides and then, you know, I guess you make your opinion and your judgment on that. I, I like to question both sides. I like to get insight yes. from both sides. I like to see, okay, they're doing this, but what are the consequences of doing that? Why could they be doing this? I mean, there's going to be tons of unanswered questions. Yes. But I, I always think that there's some, like there's what they know and then there's what the media deciphers down. Mm -hmm. You know, like even just here's the thing. They probably knew we would still be in isolation this many days later, but they didn't yes. start that way, right? Because if they started to say, you know, in, you're, you guys are going to have to do this for a whole month or two months, we would have lost our minds. Right. So knowing that it's like uh, somebody gave me the analogy of like, if you got a burglar at the back door and you got kids, you don't tell them that there's a burglar. You just say, Oh, kids go up to your room. Well, yeah. When they said two weeks, they knew it wasn't two weeks. They, they, they knew, uh, he, he probably knew at that time that he was going to be forcing the agenda of a vaccine. Now he's, he's not saying that it's going to be forced vaccination now. Now he's saying, Oh, well, we're going to be locked down until a vaccination, which implies it's going to be forced vaccination. Everyone's going to have to take it. Otherwise you can't, you can't go back into business to run to do your thing. You know, I see these things unfolding. So yeah, you just have to question and I question too, right? I, I don't assume, right. You know, you can't take any information, uh, you see it or hear, uh, as a matter of fact, you do have to question, but I just, if this were an agenda to take away some of our human rights, it's playing out perfectly and it's being delivered perfectly. And every day I, I see Trudeau come on that YouTube stream and I'm just like, Ugh, I get a sick feeling. I'm like, I got to turn this off. I just, it just feels really dishonest. Uh, but I did want to give an example. So of government misdoings, you know, misgivings, uh, doing things that are, are absolutely terrible and unethical. Um, so you can look this up. You can actually Google it, Operation Mockingbird, which was a CIA infiltration into the American media. So as it is right now, American media is pretty well amalgamated among six companies, 90% of the media, including newspaper, television, all radio stations, like literally it's conglomerate, which in my opinion, if you want free speech and free media, that's, there should be a law against amalgamation. There should be. But uh, Operation Mockingbird, which you can look up, it's admitted to, uh, was basically the CIA in the 60s going in and controlling what media said. And it was kind of during the Cold War side of things. But do you really think they stopped? Because they were trying to control what the media could say back then. They had CIA operatives. operatives. Anderson Cooper actually interned at the CIA. Surprise, surprise. Question things. I'm not saying anything is any which way, but we have proof documented proof that that did in fact happen. For years, we were told Hitler died at the end of World War II, but then the CIA documents were released and we found out that Hitler was actually being tracked in, in Argentina. Now, they even had a photo that they thought was him. Do we know for sure? No, but we know we were told one thing and they were doing another. That's, that's just fact. I'm not, I'm not saying anything beyond the fact here. So knowing that those things happen, and I've been following these things that happen. Gulf of Tonkin uh, was the inciting incident for uh, the Vietnam War, uh, CIA has admitted that was a false flag event. They, they, they said that uh, the Vietnamese shot down one of their aircraft carriers or something along those lines. Didn't happen. They admitted it. So these are things you can look up and prove, hey, for a fact, we have seen examples in the last 50 years of government saying one thing to complete an agenda. That concerns me.
you know, just looking into those facts. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So then as a real estate investor, landlord, student rental owner, you know, knowing that you really don't know potentially if there is an agenda or not, mm -hmm. what are you doing to prepare? Well, I always, I always kept a reserve of cash and not for this, because this is what they call in the market, a black swan event. You know, you could, you could never have predicted something like this. Uh, and I don't, I don't really know if I am prepared, but what I, what I am doing is, I mean, everybody's in the middle of a lease right now. Fortunately, if I were on the buy side, I would not be buying anything right now in the student rental market being now when we're recording this is April, because I think that based on what Trudeau has said, uh, the agenda would be to not have school resume in September. So new leases, if you didn't already have one would, would definitely be a challenge. I'm more concerned for, you know, come September, October, when I normally do my re-renting, that's not going to be possible in the same way it used to be. So what I'm, uh, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm hoping and praying, but I do have my cash reserves that, which I've set aside. If I need to, I will approach, I will call the banks and defer my mortgages. I have not done that so far, but I will play that by ear if I see people not paying. So far, everyone's paid and I know that they're getting their benefits and, and what have you. So uh, so that's that's a positive. Another positive is my mortgages, the variable rate ones are paying down a heck of a lot quicker right now. Money is cheaper. So there definitely are some positives with all of this. Uh, I don't mean to be all doom and gloom. Sorry if I've been that way. No, I mean, I, I think it's in interesting to have different opinions and not to always just say it's all perfect and it's all great. Like I will say I'm, I'm happy that I got into real estate. Mm -hmm. um, there's ups and downs. This is one of those downs, but you got to prepare for both. And I think it's yeah. important, right? Well, on that note, so you know, I got into real estate because I questioned things and I, I saw all these people retiring with not enough, you know, and I, and then I looked at, at real estate. I'm like, well, that actually goes up in value. You know, when all these pension funds are up and down, up and down and, you know, they don't materialize real estate's always gone up and it's what we call a real asset. It's what they call it. Real estate, uh, gold, silver, um, hard goods. Those are called real assets because they have intrinsic value we have, you know, our money is not a real asset. It's, it's a fiat currency, meaning it's not backed by anything. It's, it's worth less. So, you know, if I was sitting on a bunch of cash right now that I didn't need for reserves against my real estate in case, you know, we had cash flow problems or whatever, I would be putting it into something that's, that's a hard good. I might buy cheap real estate. I might buy, you know, gold, silver, precious metals, things that, that are going to have a use. And one of the reasons that gold and silver are useful is they're used in all kinds of industry. They're used in electronics. They have that intrinsic value. So that's something to consider. That's, that's obviously not advice to anybody, but I think that as a real estate investor at a time like this, you really do need to protect your cash position, even though as Ray Dalio says, like cash is trash in 2020, we're going to experience a roller coaster ride and the cash you have is going to lose buying power hard. But if you need cash flow, you need it. Like, what are you going to do? Like to me, I have money sitting and I hate the idea that it's sitting, but what am I going to do? Like I have to protect my own business, my real estate business. And if mortgage payments are coming out, if, uh, you know, if, uh, I don't collect certain rents, who knows, you know, you gotta be in a position where you can afford that. And, and I don't, I don't even have complete faith in our lines of credits, our secured lines of credits. There is a chance that banks might lock those down. Yeah. I mean, if it gets bad enough, that's definitely something that they reserve the right to do. I mean, Scotia now, um, this week, they say no more down payments from your HELOCs. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, it's starting. Yeah. And, and I would say I, if you need the cash, I would take some and I would put it in a different bank mm -hmm. just to have, and yeah, it's going to cost you a little bit of interest on it every single month, but you never know when they're going to say, we're going to yeah. 
clamped down on the HELOCs, house values went down 20, 30%. We're going to reduce 20, 30% on the HELOC. I mean, again, we don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's unlikely, but if it this is on and it gets worse and worse, I mean, anything is possible. Absolutely. Every day, the lenders get tougher and tougher as, as we are in social isolation and things don't get reopened. Yeah. Yeah, if you had asked somebody three months ago if they had ever thought that we would be where we are right now, think, you know, leaving our house just for for food and, and whatever, uh, I don't think anyone would have said no. Not in Canada, we wouldn't have given up our freedoms like that. We wouldn't have done that. Looking back, you know, if, if you could go back in time, so uh, just always try and keep that in mind, right? Like we just we could never have predicted this, and therefore we can't really predict what's coming either. So we, we do need to, to be careful. But yeah, I mean, on the note of, of any hard assets, gold, silver, whatever, uh, you know, you might just actually win on that, right? If you if you borrowed that money out, you, you might see those prices go up. Because in times when people see huge money, uh, economic easing, you know, huge money coming into your economy, people tend to flock to those type of assets because they know inflation's coming. So, you know, you might see that value get pushed way up. And then when you convert it back, you, you actually profit from that. Totally speculative, but uh, you know, some people might might actually uh, go down that route that road. Yeah, absolutely. It's just important, and I will agree with you. It's important to have some cash. And one of the things I would say um, when I was talking to my mortgage broker, instead of deferring your mortgage, if there's somebody on the line that's listening and they're thinking of deferring, if you have an advanceable line of credit, which essentially is when you put a dollar, you know, into principal, you have a dollar mm -hmm. of HELOC you have access to this money that you just go into your branch and they unlock it and you can have a line of credit without having to requalify. It's yours. Essentially you paid, you paid down the principal, but you can use that to help mm -hmm. you pay your mortgage payments instead of deferring. And it goes back into your, the principal portion that you're going to pay goes back into your HELOC essentially. So you're paying a lot less per month in a sense. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest reason to do that would be to not want to wait on the, the phone for, for 12 to 15 hours with the bank trying to, to have the conversation about, about deferring your mortgage. I do think that they'll play ball with people because if one person defaults, it's their problem. But if everybody defaults, it's the bank's problem. So I think that, I think that they're, they're coming along, even for investors, it seems like they're opening up and being willing to defer mortgages. Really the biggest reason I haven't, like I don't need it but I mean, I would take advantage of it. Absolutely. I just don't want to wait on the phone for all those different mortgages. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not, it's not a desperate situation right now. Yeah. See, I, I, I actually will disagree with you. I, I don't think I would want to use it and I wouldn't recommend it unless like you said, you had to. Yeah. Because my concern with that is you're, so you're declaring financial hardship. Fine. Yep. The banks say it's not going to ruin your credit. Fine. It depends on how they report it to Equifax and, and TransUnion. And then you've got to keep checking it. But my concern is like, what if you want to refi within those six months something? What if mm -hmm. you want to buy a new piece of property because there's a great opportunity? I think it's going to cap you. I don't think they're going to loan out if you've, if you've done that. Again, things change every single day. But I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you're as an investor, I don't think it's the best. And you may or may not even qualify for it too, right? But the other thing is they're going to, the banks, the lenders, they're going to question why it was so fast. Like every investor that jumped on deferring their mortgages like the second that it was available and before even April 1st came so you didn't know if your tenants were going to pay you or not those people in my opinion as a lender I'd probably be like well they don't really have a good mm -hmm. business backup plan for these types of things am I going to loan them in stuff in the future you know we don't know all the consequences but my, my thoughts are is those people are going to have a harder time qualifying moving forward yeah and and the macro effect of of all this is is 
probably going to be the banks wanting to to really buckle down and and really force higher restrictions. So showing more cash cash reserves if you want to buy rental property, uh, just like they're doing, saying no more borrowing the money. Like they want to see people who are liquid who who can afford it. So so the macro effect isn't good. But what I will say, the silver lining is no matter how crazy or whatever happens, when when society does resume, the typical response of our government would be to start backing backing our banks' loans, just like they have for the loan for business owners, which of course I said is a huge misstep in the wrong way to handle this. But so they're probably going to start backing mortgage loans way more than they do right now with CMHC. Maybe they'll waive the CMHC fee. Maybe they'll have CMHC insurance on everything, all the new ones. Because if you haven't noticed, like if you're as an investor, if you're willing to insure your mortgage, the bank will give you a better rate. You know, they're, they're far more eager to go aggressive on loan to values. But most investors, you know, since you can only get 80%, they don't want to pay mortgage insurance. They just want to get a regular balance sheet loan with their bank. And uh, we'll see. But I think that that they're going to do everything they can from a, from a government level to stimulate lending because that's how you get out of recession. We are in recession now. Uh, it's going to be bad for as long as we're locked down. It's going to be bad when all our market realizes that, that so many people have lost their jobs permanently and they've lost their businesses. But our government's going to rain that money. They're going to they're gonna pump money in for business loans, pump money in for all kinds of loans. So they're going to do everything they can to bring it back. And I think that we will see mortgage, mortgage lending rules turn around uh, when we come on the, uh, the other side of this. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Changes every day, right? So I, I mm-hmm. think ultimately what I would just say is there's so much negativity all around us you know try to try to read it but with a you know with a, an objective point of view make your own opinions mm-hmm. and i will say that this this will come and this will go and we'll be in a better position yeah. in five years from now i would don't realize your losses if you don't have to if you don't need if you yeah. don't absolutely need to sell at a loss don't sell at a loss you know hang in and then just keep planning for when this happens again and i think that's the best thing because there's ups and downs this is a, an unfortunate time that we're all having mm-hmm. right now but it will get better at some point so sarah i haven't heard that many people say that many negative things about about the real estate market i mean, I've, I've heard people say it's you know i used to pay 50 over ask and now i'm paying 50 under ask what are you seeing as the negativity? Are you seeing the people with the larger portfolios not getting paid? I think right now it's a big issue with the landlord tenants and the landlord tenant board being closed until who knows, end of the summer, maybe September. Mm-hmm. And if a tenant was already not able to pay or not going to be able to pay moving forward, like that tenant is going to be able to live potentially for free for 18 plus months before they get kicked out. So I think there's a lot yeah. of concern there. There's a lot of of resentment, I think, from tenants to landlords, from landlords to tenants. And there, there might be some people that will get out of the business and will have a bigger shortage issue down the road because they're going to say, I, I, my tenants can't pay. I'm not covering you know, their mortgage payments plus my mortgage payment mm-hmm. or their expenses plus mine. They could have lost, you know, the landlord could lose their job. So I think there's a lot of stuff going out around with the tenant piece and the landlord tenant board being shut down and already the residential tenancies, you know, favors the the tenants. So, so that's the big thing. And then I think just from an investment standpoint, you're probably going to be waiting. And I would recommend to wait another month or two, because I don't think we've seen, we've seen what's going to happen yet, right? Like there's not a lot of supply. There's not a lot of demand. Once one of them starts shifting, then I think we're going to see what the prices will do or what things will happen. But as a landlord, you're concerned, right? Like, are your tenants going to pay for May? Were they already behind in April? What recourses do you even have? Because Ford said, don't worry, put money on the table for food first. Don't worry about your rent. So I think there's a lot of issues um, with that kind of stuff happening right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and just, can you still hear me okay? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one one specific note I have on that is if if you have tenants that are doing that, here's how I would approach that. I would speak with them and I would tell them, you know, look, Judy, I understand you're you're having trouble right now. The reality of this is here's what I would have to do if you weren't able to pay because my mortgage, my expenses still have, this is really hurting me as a landowner. And you know, this is part of my income. I'm going to have to seek a payment order from you. Whenever this all ends, I'd have to seek a payment order from you. And you'd be, uh, you know, by then you'd owe me like 18,000 or whatever it is. And then I'd have to garnish your wages to get that money back. And I don't want to go down that road. I don't think you want that either. So, so Judy, let's work together. Let's work something out. You're collecting these benefits. You know, let's see if we can get this much money rolling in and then I'll, you know, I'll work something out with you. Or you say, Judy, let's, let's see, you know, if you can get me this much and you give her a month free, I will let you out of the lease and forgive the money you didn't pay. And you can go find something that's more affordable, that's going to work better for you in this current situation. I'm not saying that's a perfect solution, but I think if you reason with people and landlords, you're not powerless, even if you have to wait, this is why we save cash. Because even if you have to wait, you can go, once you get the payment order from the from the landlord tenant board, you can register that with the court and you can pay the, what is it like $120 for each method of collection you want against their bank account, against their employment. I'm not a lawyer. Talk to your lawyer, talk to your paralegal, but there are ways and you're not helpless. Even if you got to wait, this is a timing thing. This isn't a permanence thing. So I think some of the negativity out there, it just, you just need to get a little bit more informed with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so like, I agree with, with some of those, as long as your tenant's willing to work. So like for mine, I'm willing to work with all of, of them, like, because mm-hmm. they want to do well and they're not, but there's, there's different spectrums of tenants that some of them just say, you know what, let's start these lobby, lobbying groups of do a rent strike. So I think there's like from that spectrum to somebody that truly can't pay. And then there's different ways that you would, you would deal with both of those, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, of course there's always the mistake tenant you put in, you should never have. Right. And that, yeah, if you're in that situation, damn, that's, uh, that's not good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, so two sides, right? Like I've, I've really worked hard. I mean, the thing I like about students is that their parents are paying and yeah, mm-hmm. I've had one that, that couldn't uh, pay right away, but he just paid me today. But, you know, that could change. Uh, these parents might lose their jobs and that might affect my ability to collect rent from them. But I, I do love the fact that I've got parental guarantors. I've got the students on the leases. So I've got kind of a lot of ways to work with them on that. But yeah, I mean, we've all made mistakes with tenant selection. So if you're in that situation right now, you, you know, I definitely feel for you. And I hope, I hope you're able to make ends meet until you can get them out of there. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just important to have those discussions before the first of the month so that you know where you stand and what's coming and what's not coming. Mm-hmm. And ideally, get yourself a buffer in cash so that if you have to carry it for some time, that you're not going to yeah. lose or have to sell. So, look, there's there's good and bad. We'll come out of this. We'll all come out of it with you know more knowledge, more insights, experience. I mean, five years from now, we're going to do well. Ten years from now, we're going to do really well. It's kind of short term. It's a little bit rocky, mm-hmm. but uh, it's definitely not the end of the world. And I will I will say, tenant screening is so important. And potentially, you know, if you don't find that right tenant, leave the place vacant if you can until this is over. If you don't need the cash and if you don't need a tenant to be in there until you find that tenant that you're comfortable, that's going to be able to carry the property and pay the rent. Yeah, I'm trying to find a tenant right now for one of mine. And I do have a bunch of applications I'm showing it. But yeah, I'm going to be screening that. And I don't know if you have any tips specifically. This isn't students, but I don't know if you have any tips with that one, Sarah, because what job is stable right now? I mean, healthcare, 
even that so there's been health, there's seven healthcare layoffs because the hospitals actually aren't that busy right now. It's just the ICUs. No one else wants to go to the hospital. So it's a, it's a bit of an interesting dilemma. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm enhancing my, like my already enhanced thorough screening processes, but mm-hmm. I will be looking at how they've managed March, April and May and potentially June. And I will be asking for statements and if they don't want to yeah. share, that's fine. But I will be checking with current past landlords, even if it's a year from now, how they handle this time. So do you want to, you want to see that they have like five months of rent available or six months of rent or something like that? It doesn't have to be six, but I need to know what, what their plan is and that they have yeah. more than just first and last. And then yeah. what is their plan for if they can no longer work? What is their plan yeah. for, uh, you know, it's going to be more of those, those conversations, but I need to inspect as well because there's going to be, I think there's going to be landlords that are going to do cash for keys with their tenants and those tenants are going to have the cash and they probably got out because a landlord didn't want to have to go and wait 18 months to get them out. So they're giving them 10 grand, but, it, but so it's not just enough to check that, but I want to know how they handled it, how their landlord and them worked something out. And it's, it's one thing if they had the money. So if I look at it and I'm like, okay, I don't see any rent payments coming from that tenant being pulled from their accounts, and I still see that they had money, that's not a good sign. Or did they work something out? So like, I just need to add that to my, my screening process. I need to make sure that if there's a $500 emergency that they're not going to be all of a sudden not able to pay rent either. So you'll actually request six months bank statements from them? No, I will request specifically March, April, and May of this year. So of their, of their primary year. bank account? Of their, yeah, of where rents is coming from. And I'm, because this is the only control I have. So if they don't want to do it, I'll, I'll just go on to the next person. I don't care. I'm not taking that risk. Very interesting. So is this the type of rental unit where you would have a demand of like 10 people who are ready to, to take it? And then you're just picking between one of the 10? Yeah. So basically what I would do, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily just show 10 people. I do a Kijiji screen where there's questions for us they have to answer. Then I do a phone screening with a bunch more questions. And like these questions will be um, coming up. And then my application has a list of questions that they need to fill out as well. And then these questions will be specifically there. And then I'm going to ask them for for submission of certain documents as well. Mm -hmm. Before, so when they see the house, that's when they get the application with the questions. But prior to that, they're not coming to even view anything until I do my first two checks. Yeah, I'm doing something similar now. It's just this, this is very uncharted territory to me, this type of situation. So yeah, we're all in it together, right? So absolutely. And I will say like, guys, at the end of the day, here's the thing. My tenants are great. You know, Andrew, it sounds like you got some great tenants. Mm -hmm. The majority of them will want to work with us. So we don't need to start panicking, but we just need to enhance what we can control, which is in my opinion, it's the screening process. Because as soon as they have the keys, if you have one that slipped through the cracks, unfortunately, that wasn't the right one. It's going to be a lot harder and it's going to be a lot more money to put that wrong one in there. So on that note, Hey, you know, it is what it is. We're all in this together. Like you said, Andrew, and at, at the end of the day, health comes first, family comes first. There's going to be positive in all the situations, even a situation like this. So final words of advice. Uh, well, you covered a lot of it there. Uh, I guess we'll just go back to the main thing, guys. Um, take stock of the, of the, the rights that we've given up so far and, and, put your foot down. (laughs) Like we, you know, there's only so far we can push this. Our governments, they cannot run our economy. Only our economy can run our economy. The free market must be allowed to function. So start thinking outside the box, talk to people around you, come up with a plan, come up with an idea, just ideas. Let's throw them around. At the end of the day, 
there is a better solution than the one that's being proposed. And it takes smart people talking, sharing ideas and coming up with a plan and then petitioning their leaders to, to respond to that plan. This is supposed to be a government for the people by the people, not a government that's controlling the people with the people holding their hands out saying, please help me. So uh, let's just keep that in mind. And, uh, and I think we'll be all right. Awesome. Where can the listeners reach out and find out more about you? Uh, so Instagram or Facebook at the Andrew Hines is probably the easiest, uh, easiest way. Okay. Awesome. And you have your podcast as well. What's your podcast called? It is the Andrew Hines real estate investing podcast. So any platform you listen on, including YouTube, just search my, uh, my name and, uh, on YouTube, you'll find a motorcycle guy as well, but you'll find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for your insights. Thank you for questioning the situation and the world that we live in today. I mean, it's, it's important to think outside the box as well, not just believe everything at face value. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. It was fun. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.